Well, good morning, church. So everybody uh, ought to have uh, received one of these uh, as part of their bulletin this morning. I just want to highlight this for you. Uh, we're encouraging everybody to be a part of this, uh, this study in Galatians. Every, every single person, uh, every single life group, uh, uh, you could do this with your family. Um, uh, set free to live free. That's what this uh, book in Galatians is all about. And, uh, and sometimes uh, we tell you the what. We want you to do this in Galatians, uh, to study Galatians and to, uh, to get yourself around God's word. But uh, I also want to communicate to you why. Why in the world should we do this, preacher? Why in the world should we do this, church? Uh, why should we do it? Because, well, number one, we love Jesus. You see, if we're a church that is really built around saying that we want to find and follow Jesus, uh, following Jesus means we get into his word and we get there as, as a church and we gather around his word so that we might live more like him. And I don't know about you, but there's still some things in my own life where I need to live like him. And I need improve on living like him. And Galatians, uh, a study in Galatians where I recognize the freedom that Jesus has given me so that I might live freely in him as opposed to uh, a bunch of religious rules or our foundations or standards that I've created for myself. I want to live free. So if that is of interest to you and you want to uh, see yourself be challenged to live more like Jesus tomorrow than today uh, so that you can recognize that you've been set free to live free, then would you check that out and, uh, and get into the book of Galatians? Uh, we've been in this series now for a number of weeks, uh, Pressure Points. We have really just gathered ourselves around the story of David's life, and we have recognized that time and again, uh, David is under pressure. And not only is David under pressure, you and I know that sometimes we're under pressure to do certain things or not do other things, and that God is really charging us, encouraging us, challenging us uh, to live like Him, to follow Him. Because we, we've come as a church and said, if we're going to help people find and follow Jesus, then we have to follow Him. That we can't ask other people to follow and not follow ourselves, that we actually have to try and live like Christ, that we have to live the Christian life, not just on Sunday morning, but every day. And in order to do that, we're going to have to overcome the pressure points in our life. And this morning, uh, we hear uh, from the book of 2 Samuel this incredible story of grace. We, we are challenged not just to receive grace, but to extend grace to others. And David models that for us. I don't know if you've ever made a promise to something and you've said, God, I'm going to promise, I'm going to promise, I'm going to promise. If you just do this thing for me, everything will go well. I'll promise to do this. And then you find yourself maybe days or weeks or months or years later, and that promise has still gone unkept. And I wonder if time, at times if, if God's not just holding our feet to the fire in regards to the promise that we've made to live more like Him. And he said, hey, when you came to know me, you promised that you were going to live like me. When you entered that baptistry and you died to self and raised again to live a new life, uh, that was a new life and the resurrection that I gave you. And you said that you promised. 
And I wonder this morning if in the text that we're going to walk through and the people we're going to meet, if God is not challenging us when we're under pressure with our promise, not just to make a promise, but to keep a promise. This morning, I'm going to introduce you to a, to a person that understood a lot about what it feels like when someone keeps a promise even when that person didn't necessarily need to keep their promise. So will you go with me? Second uh, Samuel chapter 9. Second Samuel chapter 9 is where we're going to be. If you, if you don't have a Bible, reach out and grab one in the pew backs. Uh, turn to your, your favorite Bible app and your smartphone, and we're going to be in Second Samuel chapter 9. Second Samuel chapter 9. Joshua judges Ruth, then 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel and chapter 9. In chapter 9, we meet this incredible person, a person really who throughout the rest of the Bible really goes unspoken, unknown about. His name is Mephibosheth. And David had made a promise all the way back in 1 Samuel chapter 20 to his dad. His dad's name is Jonathan. His granddad, you know him as King Saul. And David had made a promise to Jonathan. David had made a promise. Hey, I will take care of your descendants. I'm not going to get rid of them. I'm going to take care of them. And here we see this kind of obscure story tell us about David's kept promise and the grace that's extended to Mephibosheth. Look with me, would you? Chapter 9, I'm going to read through the whole thing, and then I'm going to introduce you to Mephibosheth. David asked, is there anyone still of the house of Saul to whom I can uh, declare kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and this king asked him, Are you Ziba? At your service. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? God's kindness? Zeba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. Now he's lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Zeba answered, he's at the house of Makir, son of Emil in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Makir, son of Emil. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you the kindness for the sake of your, your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all of the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? And then the king summoned Ziba, 
Saul's steward, and said to him, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. Now you and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. And he was lame. In both feet. I want to introduce you to Mephibosheth. All right, you ready? All right, here we go. All right. Will you thank my servant? How does a guy like me end up in a palace like this? Can you believe it? This, this is a king's palace. I've seen palaces before. I, I've been in one a long time ago but it was nothing like this. All the fine furniture, all the grand hallways, the throne room. It's incredible. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, how in the world does a guy like me end up in a place like this? Why would I even get to be here? Oh, pardon my manners. My name is Mephibosheth. Now, if you know Hebrew, you know that my name, Mephibosheth, means scattered with shame. And that really has been my life story up until, well, maybe about three months ago. You see, I was five years old. My, my memory's a little fuzzy, but I remember playing out in the yard, and, and we had heard about a great battle. My dad... His name was Jonathan, had been killed. My grandfather, the king, he'd been killed too. My uncles, gone. I remember I was out there uh, playing, you know, as five-year-olds like to play. I was out there, and, and I remember the, uh, the stampeding of the horses coming toward us and all, everyone shouting. And they were saying, Get away! Run away! Get the boy! Hurry up! Get him out of here! 
I remember my, my babysitter. She, she was with me and she was so afraid. You could see the fear in her eyes. We could hear the Philistine army starting to come near and, and she was so afraid. She gobbled me up in her arms and it seemed like forever she ran and she ran and she ran until finally she just couldn't run anymore and she collapsed and I fell on the ground and I, I, I was kind of pinned underneath of her and I heard something snap. And I couldn't move my feet anymore. I could kind of use my arms to kind of drag myself through the dirt. But I couldn't run like I used to. The next thing I knew, we were in Lodabar. You know what Lodabar means? It means desolate place. Have you ever been to a really desolate place? Have you ever been to a place you think, did God actually make that place? You see, Lodabar was about 60, maybe 70 miles from Jerusalem. It was a place that nobody wanted to be. It was a place where... Well, I went. You know why you go to Lodabar? Because you're running away. You run away. You know why you run away? You run away because if you are an heir, the acting king, the acting king like, like David was going to be the acting king, He's going to find you. And he's going to kill you. You see, in my day, if you were an acting king, you, you didn't allow anybody. You didn't allow anybody that was an heir of a, of a previous generation, of previous king. You didn't let them live. You didn't want anybody to, to have any say over your potential kingdom. So you go to places like Lodabar, you lay low, uh, you make sure that nobody will ever find you. So there I was. It would probably been 20 years, maybe 22 years. We were in the house of McCurr. I eventually married his daughter. We had spent so much time together. I wasn't much of a use to him, but... But he allowed me to do a few bookkeeping things around the house, and I uh, tried to do a few things with woodwork. We just had a little son, Micah. And you know, I, I had finally almost forgotten. I'd almost forgotten about all the royalty. I'd almost forgotten that I was a, a grandson of Saul. I'd almost forgotten that Jonathan was even my dad. I'd almost forgotten to be afraid. And then there was a knock at the door. One of the servants got up and answered the doorbell. Doorbell. <laughs> okay, we didn't have doorbells. <laughs> Went to the door, and it's one of David's servants. It's 
It's one of David's men. We're looking for Mephibosheth. And I knew it'd come. The day had come. I was going to be taken before the king and killed. Because that's what you do with heirs to the king. So there I was, lame in both feet. They carried me out to the wagon for three days. We're on the road to Jerusalem. Ziba was there. I'd only met Ziba one other time when I was a small child. I, I sort of uh, remembered that it was him. And he was there in the wagon, sharing the wagon with me. And, and he said to me, I think that the king wants to show you God's kindness. I had just embraced my son and my daughter, and I thought it was the last time. And quite frankly, I wasn't very happy with Ziba. I yelled at him. Are you a fool? Are you kidding me? He's going to kill me. I'm going to go and be executed thanks to you. And for three days, I, I just had this bitter hatred for David. I mean, I had heard the stories about uh, maybe Jonathan, my dad, and him being best friends. But right now, where I sat, there was no way that was really true. That was just some wives' tale about uh, some uh, childhood friendship that they had had. David probably long since forgot about my father, Jonathan. And he was coming to do one thing, get rid of any evidence, solidify his kingdom. That's what he wanted. Oh yeah, I, I heard all about David. Did you know, did you know that, that David, uh, the day that my father was killed, the day my grandfather was killed, oh yeah, he was in Philistine territory. I, I even heard that he... he he was going to conspire against Israel in the very battle that killed my dad. Some people had said of David that, uh, that he was actually a good man and that my grandfather Saul was insane and that he had this crazy desire to try and kill David. But I don't think that was true. The other story that I heard, the other story that I heard was that David kind of faked kindness but he had this manipulative way about him that he, all he really wanted was the throne of my grandfather Saul. And over the years, I had decided, no, David wasn't kind. He wasn't kind at all. He was a bitter, manipulative man that decided that he was going to gain the throne of my grandfather Saul. And for three days, I sat in that wagon all the way to Jerusalem thinking, I really hate that man. And there I was. They took me into the grand hallway where the throne of the king was. And I thought, you know what? I'm not going to make it easy on him. And as I was kind of carried in before the king, I kind of limped down and laid down before the king. And I said, I'll be your servant. At the very least, he was going to have to kill a lame man who decided he would be his servant, even if only that I might live. 
And you know what? The craziest thing happened. I, I mean, like, like wildly crazy. Like un- unbelievable crazy. Like, like if you could fathom the, the furthest thing from your mind happening, it happened. And David, he looked at me. Maybe like I'm looking at you. And he said, with a smile on his face, he said, Mephibosheth, don't be afraid. I thought, don't be afraid? Are you kidding me? You're the king? I'm the, I'm the heir of the person that you replace? Don't be afraid? But he didn't just say, don't be afraid. He did something I couldn't possibly imagine. You see, he had said that he had come and he wanted to show God's kindness. He, had, he said that he had promised it to my, my father, Jonathan. And you know what he did next? He said, Mephibosheth, I'm going to give you back all of your grandfather's land. All the crops, all the cattle, all the sheep, all, all the goats, It's all yours. And in an instant, I went from low to bar in this desolate area. I went from nothing to something. I was absolutely impoverished. I had nothing to offer. And suddenly, right before a king, I was made wealthy. But you know, that wasn't even the best part. You know what the best part of this whole thing was? It wasn't that I was an impoverished man. It wasn't even that I was a lame man made now wealthy. It was that David said, I'm going to let you eat at my table. I'm going to let you eat at the king's table. I'm going to let you have my table. Now, I've been hanging out in the 21st century for a few days, and you all have refrigerators. Someone tells me that there's refrigerator rights. You all know what refrigerator rights are? I'm told that refrigerator rights are when anybody can come in at any time and hang out and get into your pantry and get into your refrigerator. David gave me refrigerator rights. He let me sit at his table. He adopted me as a son. There I was. Shocked. At one point, I even interrupted him. I said, my king, who am I? Who am I but a dead dog to you? I am dead before you that you should do this for me. David said he's keeping a promise. Oh, that David. What a great king. What a king that would take a man from death and desolation and invite him to the king's table. 
and make him a son. I don't know about you, but I wish all of us could know a king like that. Maybe you can know a king like that. Oh, I hear it. Servant, it's dinner time. And I don't want to miss what's waiting for me at the king's table. I'll see you later. I'm going to accept this invitation. Church, David kept his promise, didn't he? And you know what? There's another king that kept his promise too. And his name's Jesus. And Jesus, for you and I, he took us, even though we've separated ourselves from God, even though we have been crippled by sin, even though we didn't deserve anything. There's a king that's calling us out and saying, I know that you're dead. I know that you're dead in sin. I know that you're a dead dog. But it doesn't matter. Because I sent my son. I sent my son as a king in David's line. I sent him to die for you. And he's making an invitation, isn't he? He's making the invitation for you to be sons and daughters of God. And he has said for all those who are with him, there will be at the final day when he comes again that there is going to be a great table and we're all invited. We're all invited to sit at the king's table as sons and daughters of God, not sitting in desolation, not sitting in our sin anymore, but by the grace of Jesus, we get to sit at the king's table. And we don't get that because we've earned it, no. We get that because God said, I'm coming for you. And that anyone who would acknowledge me, I will show eternal life. I hope that there is someone here this morning and you came in and you're not sure about Jesus yet and now you are. Because I'm making the invitation the way Jesus did, the way Mephibosheth got his. There's been a promise and it has your name on it. And the invitation is that you would accept God. You would accept Jesus as his one and only son, equal with him in every single way, that you would recognize that Jesus came, died on the cross for your sin, and rose again on the third day 
and he's coming back. And you have an opportunity to sit at the king's table. We sang it earlier, didn't we? Grace, grace, you show me grace. You've taken my shame and shown me your loving kindness. This morning, God wants to show you his loving kindness. And so if you have been thinking about that for a while, I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you on behalf of God Almighty and Jesus Christ, his one and only son, that you'd come and you'd sit at the king's table today. And you'd say, yeah, I need that kind of grace. My life before now hasn't been all that I wanted it to be, but I need that kind of grace today. And you will take my shame and throw it away. If that's you, would you come? Would you find me? Let's talk. So that you will find yourself and you won't be late for dinner. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for your goodness. I thank you for how your word speaks, just grace. I thank you for how you're, you, you, you show yourself to be true to the promises that you have made. And Lord, I pray that we will, will, will recognize like Mephibosheth that we are dead in our sins, that we desperately need you, that we will turn in repentance and follow you and accept this invitation that we'll die to sin and raise again to live a new life because of your resurrection. Lord, I pray that today is a turning point for all of us, that we will finally sit at your table. And until you come again, Lord, we will sit every week and every moment of every day in the promise of your grace. And Lord, that we will extend that grace to others as you have extended it to us. Thank you for your grace. We love you. And we pray all this in Jesus' holy and precious name.